Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And happy Friday. Greetings. Welcome. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and the return of our good friend Shannon Joy, New York talk show host. The last time I saw Shannon, let's just say I'm in a much better place now. So it is good to see her, have her back here on the show. We will get to your feedback on a Feedback Friday coming up a little later on. By the way, guys, a lot of reaction. People loved Aaron's soliloquy on behalf of koi ponds yesterday i mean people could not get enough they're like in the midst of this really heavy show and you come out of the out of the gate with this fiery rant and i'm cheering it on and then out of nowhere aaron just hits us with this just you know ode to koi ponds and i couldn't stop laughing all right so i received quite a bit of that feedback it it is it is a beautiful thing thank you for that aaron you missed an opportunity here how did you not have on that gigantic television screen a image of koi fish swimming at, to the beginning of the up. show? I you are ashamed. Yeah. Yes. You are ashamed. Yes. All right. So we will get to your feedback. I just wanted to, let's just get that feedback out of the way because I could have just done almost an entire hour of reading people and how much they loved hearing about Aaron's uh, fond. Uh, soliloquies on behalf of the koi ponds. All right. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, feedback. We'll start date the day group here in a matter of moments. A couple of uh, quick housekeeping items I want to get to beforehand, if you don't mind. First of all, somehow we are the little engine that could. Nefarious is going to survive now into a fifth weekend in movie theaters around the country. Uh, counting Canada, we're adding about 200 theaters around the country this weekend. It's this is kind of going backwards. I mean, if you'd have told me coming in that we would last five weekends in theaters, I'd have told you I'm a multimillionaire. Hasn't worked out that way. And yet still, here we are. Here's the other thing, too. We are now, we're now re-adding theaters that had, after a couple of weeks, dropped us. They're now coming back. So in particular, if you live in these areas and you've yet to see the film or you've got a group you want to take to see it again, um, this would really help because if, if we continue on this trend, we might be up another couple hundred theaters for next week, if you can believe it. All right. So all this is up on my social media pages. All right. So if you can't write these down really quick, Regal Edwards in Corona, California, Regal Oceanside in Oceanside, California. Remember last week I told you I wasn't that confident if this came down to theaters in California and Maryland. We actually did great in these places. That's why we added even more. Uh, Regal San Bernardino in San Bernardino, California. Regal Edwards in San Diego, California. Movie Tavern Aurora at uh, Aurora, Colorado. AMC Indian River in Vero Beach, Florida. The Regal Dole Canary, uh, Canary, I should say, in Honolulu, Hawaii. Marcus O'Fallon 16 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Marcus Cedar Rapids in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Marcus Arnold 14 in Arnold, Missouri. Marcus St. Charles in St. Charles, Missouri. Marcus Twin Creek Cinema in Bellevue, Nebraska. Marcus Lincoln Grand Cinema in Lincoln, Nebraska. Marcus Village Point Cinema in Omaha, Nebraska. Smithfield Cinemas in Smithfield, North Carolina. Crossroads Cinemas in Columbus, Ohio. Marcus Pickerington Cinema 17 in Pickerington, Ohio. Regal Hollywood in Greenville, South Carolina. There's an evangelical mecca there. Better be selling some tickets there this weekend or I'm coming for you. All right. Uh, Regal Spartan in Spartanburg, South Carolina. That's another one. I'm watching. Okay. 
Uh, Regal Opry Mills in Nashville, Tennessee. Movie Tavern uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. Premier IMAX in Lubbock, Texas. Marcus South Shore Cinema 16 in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And the Marcus Renaissance Cinema 13 in, is it Sturdivant, Wisconsin, Todd? Is that how it's pronounced? I've never heard of Sturdivant. All right. Well, there you go. You've heard of it now. So these theaters had previously dropped us. And are now picking the movie up. I have no idea how many times this has ever like ever happened in cinema history. Like ever. It's not a common thing to get picked back up from theaters once they drop you. This movie's like the early church, you know? Just, just refuses just, to go away, yeah. just hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good analogy. And these are some huge markets. Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, you get into the DFW. Uh, San Diego, California. Nashville, Tennessee. So... I mean, and we're adding Canada. We had a lot of requests for that. Canada is coming in this weekend for Nefarious as well. So all of this is up on all of my socials right now. If you ordered one of the autographed copies of a Nefarious plot that includes the poster uh, from the movie as the, as the new commemorative cover, those are getting shipped right now as we speak. We still actually have a couple hundred of those left. All right. So is, is, I got to double check. Is it Nefarious book? Or Nefarious Books. I think it's Nefarious Book. Yeah, NefariousBook.com is where you can go. Get an autographed copy of a Nefarious Plot with a special commemorative cover that includes the poster to the movie. You see that over Todd's shoulder whenever the camera pans there. All right, so NefariousBook.com. There's a couple hundred of those left. They're shipping now at NefariousBook.com. All right. With that, a reminder about our friends at Constitution Wealth. They want to help you align your values with your money, your principles, with your portfolio. They can teach you how to fight and win the culture war while making money with your investments at the same time. Just go to investwithcw.com slash Steve. That's investwithcw.com slash Steve. It's time for the day's group. Your weekly look at the week that was begins, as it always does, with bleep, Lord Nefarious says. What are hormone blockers and how do they affect your body? Well, I'm glad you Hormone blockers are a series of injections and or an implant that you can have put in your arm that temporarily pauses puberty. Happy Pride, everybody. I already mentioned this in my story, but um, I've added a new set of pronouns to the pronouns that I'm comfortable being called. I've been sitting on Faye Fair Fair's pronouns for a while and honestly kind of psyching myself out about it. I'm like, oh, do I really want to like change this again? And then I like realized I was like, who cares? Like, if I decide that I don't like them, I can just stop using them. My other thing about this new set of pronouns is that I would only like for queer and trans people to use them for me. Cishet people, they, them. Queer and or trans people, you can use they, them, or fey, fair. It's all good with me. Can you be racist to white people? No. Why not? Listen, educate yourself on racism. You cannot be racist to white people. But how? Why? If you look it up, you'll understand. Cracker. It's That's not, racist? No, it's, it's not racist. There's a difference. If it was the other way around, then I'm racist. Yes, because who was enslaved? Why are we throwing exactly it back that far? who was enslaved? Those folk who are coming across are the ones who are helping 
to put food on our table. Without them, we're not able to eat. If you if you turn them away, if if all of them were uh, turned away, and then you this legislation passed, making it easier to get at people who are already here legally, and you have no immigration, then we would have no food on our plates. We would have no nobody taking care of uh, the building, the construction of our uh, homes. We would have nobody cleaning up in the hospitals. Uh, you know, honest work. Look, being Hispanic or being black does not, or being anything, does not make you immune from being racist, from being radicalized, from being a white supremacist. I, I was hit at one point sitting on the subway by a man who was having a mental health episode. Every one of us who's taken public transit has had this kind of situation, ha something similar happen. Like, my fear is not the primary right. uh, primary uh, object of like what we should be focusing on right now. The, the bourgeois kind of concern of people's like immediate discomfort in this narrow, narrow instance as opposed to larger humanity and life. It's really freaking twisted. Yeah. All right, first question, Shannon, ladies first, plus the guest goes first. The worst thing you just witnessed was what and why? Well, it has to be the woke female commentator with such self-hatred about her gender, her race, that she literally will tell her audience that, you know, we should be beaten. We should accept it. We should acknowledge that, you know, uh, you know, all of our racism and our white privilege puts us in a position now where we should just, you know, hop on the subway and just take a beating. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. These people, it's they're bonkers. They're they're bonkers. And I guess I'm glad that they continue to put this out there because they look crazier and crazier and crazier. And we only add to our numbers and our movement the more these people just reveal how profoundly disturbed they are. I mean, that's just disturbing. That's 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 an abused woman to to accept something like that and to tell her audience that, you know, I actually deserve it. You actually deserve it. It's crazy. Crazy. She doesn't believe that. Does she? No. <laughs> doesn't no. She? Go out and offer yourself up. Yeah. Offer yourself up then. Prove yeah. your level of conviction. Offer yourself up. I think she believes that you should suffer. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she personally believes, though, that she should. Otherwise, feel free to go offer yourself up. Well, she said at the beginning of that clip, she's been hit in the subway before by somebody with a mental illness. <laughs> and she's still saying the desire to... I mean, it's, it's, it is ridiculous. It's, it is patently ridiculous. Cuckoo. These are the people cuckoo. who say, give us your guns, do away yeah. with your cars to save the planet, to take mass public transportation. Oh, and by the way, now that you've given up those two other things, the desire to feel safe on mass transportation, public transportation, is bougie. So get over, get over yourselves. <laughs> Todd, what say you? Uh, Shannon, I'm glad you opened the door to that. Listen... I I is I believe in terms of how my life has perhaps been providentially called to something. The fact that I am a father of four children and all our daughters, I feel like that. Yeah. How I'm involved on the women's side of the ledger, helping to create the next generation of women. I, I strongly feel like I'm allowed to have opinions uh, unapologetically. Sure. on that front and shannon opening door i i simply just i 
I want to say, speaking only for myself, and listen, again, I, ha- I have a wife who not only I adore, but a wife who, for most of our career, uh, has made more money than I have. But I, the simple truth of the matter is that that woman that Shannon is talking about, they are legion. And I simply think that very few women are ca- are called or capable of bearing on their shoulders uh, the kinds of things that Shannon or a Margaret Thatcher are. They're not. They're just not designed that way. They're women. Uh, they can't have it all. They get crazy when they try to. Men, listen, we're going to do the men's show. We do all the time on the show. And the way we've dropped the ball on our end. We can do that anytime you want to. But this worst of the week, this is, we keep running into this problem. And it's a very new and unique problem in terms of the course of human history. And in like that much time, women have absolutely lost their minds when they get a whiff of anything resembling power or control or authority i i think that simply needs to be said because there's there's just very few women who can walk the earth like shannon can and uh margaret thatcher and come close to being able to do it all the rest it's just too much it just obviously is too much aaron yeah, so, I mean, the iconoclasm is the point. That's if, if it sounds like they're chaotic, no, they're just tearing things down. That's, that's what that is. That's really what that is. Um, elsewhere, the, uh, the whole commentary regarding, uh, I think it was Anna Navarro, hey, Hispanics can be white supremacists too, or Latinos can be white supremacists too, followed up by Hank Johnson basically saying, if we don't have illegal immigration, there's not, there isn't going to be anybody to, uh, there's no Consuela to come clean my uh, D.C. brownstone. There's other implications you could draw out of that. Comment. I'll draw them. <laughs> you're, you're, you're watching a, a, a black man literally said in the government, that if we don't create a permanent underclass of minorities to do the menial tasks, we can't function as a society. So, so no one else will face the brunt of that. I want to make sure Media Matters, I said it, D-E-A-C-E. That's a black man on camera in the United States Congress saying we must create a permanent underclass of, of minorities to do menial labor uh, for, for the system uh, to function. That that's yeah. I don't even know what to I mean that's what you're alluding to so mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and just say it out loud yeah, so, yeah I'll say yeah. It. go ahead that's yeah. interesting yeah. yeah that's interesting any preference any historical parallel to no, be drawn there no, that you no, can think of there's no juxtaposition no, no it just seems like a very here. random just and in a vacuum assertion. yeah in a vacuum just 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 saying basically that's probably the worst of the week and that that's the same guy who said I believe 10 15 years ago that is the same Hank Johnson who was uh, concerned that uh, that parts of the United States might actually get so heavy it would fall into the ocean. So he and uh, Dianne Feinstein, the necromanced, are uh, running your country, ladies and gentlemen. On a scale of one to ten, with one being the odds you would have predicted at the beginning of 2022 that Twitter might be the last remaining mainstream platform permitting free speech, and 10 being the odds that Lindsey Graham will be the last remaining bachelor in South Carolina for reasons. I really felt after last week I needed to go with something more benign this time. I thought maybe. Yeah, I, that was pretty sedate by I, your standards. I, I just thought I needed to tone it down just a little bit after, I think, last week. Did so. you wear the 
pink plaid shirt to remind you of needing to be. No, a I just bit more I realized sick. I got this shirt for Christmas and I haven't worn it yet on the show. I dig it. I yeah. like it. I just yeah, so yeah, I just like roll this one out. Yeah, okay. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Todd. Go. <laughs> Shannon, go ahead. I'm feeling a little optimistic today, fellas, so I'm gonna go with a nine. All right, nine. Hey, revival's coming. That's Aaron. Right. I'm going with a ten just because of the uh, the scale that you used. All right. (laughs) Nice. Folks, if you are running a small business, human resources issues can be the downfall if you're not careful. And it's not a cheap solution either. The average human resources director can cost you upwards of 80 grand a year. And if you're a small business, chances are you probably can't afford that. That's why you want to talk to our friends over at Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E, just like it sounds, Bam and then B, just like it sounds, no long-term contracts. You can do it month to month, just $99 a month they'll autopilot you with an important uh, through important hr practices like uh, setting policies training feedback you'll have your own hr dedicated hr manager available by phone email real-time chat uh, for anything that you need schedule your free conversation today see how much bambi can take off your plate for just 99 dollars a month and month to month if you want go to bambi.com right now type in steve De- steve dace under podcast when you sign up It'll help you and help the show as well. Type in Steve Dace under podcast at Bambi.com. That's Bambi.com. Type in Steve Dace. All right, let's get to issue two, the Biden crime family. This week, Congressman James Comer held a press conference where he said he has solid proof Joe Biden sold influence to corruptocrats across the globe when he was vice president. The committee is concerned by the complicated, suspicious network of over 20 companies, we have identified the Bidens and their associates used to enrich themselves. Most of these companies were limited liability companies formed during Joe Biden's vice presidency. The bank records show the Biden family, their associates, and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their Companies. Senator Ron Johnson added he has proof as well. Hunter Biden paid for sex trafficked prostitutes. Uh, one thing that we don't talk enough about, uh, I know President Biden is just so proud of his son, but let's, you know, we have the evidence that Hunter Biden paid for, paid tens of thousands of dollars for prostitutes that were sex trafficked through an international sex trafficking ring. Oh. I mean, I mean, uh, yes, ick. And President Biden, during about a four or five month period, offered to pay for about $100,000 of, of Hunter Biden's bills when he was spending tens of thousands of dollars on these women who are sex trafficked. Now, if, if that is at a minimum morally reprehensible. What's not reprehensible is that tie. That is a spectacular tie game by Senator Ron Johnson there. And I just thought someone should recognize that since you called out my pink plaid shirt top. Fair enough. All right. Um, I want to add something that uh, our patriarch here at uh, Blaze TV, Glenn Beck, posted uh, this morning. He tweeted this out. Last week, we learned that back in 2020, a whistleblower filed a complaint with the FBI alleging that Joe Biden had taken bribes from foreign governments to influence U.S. policy. The House Oversight Committee issued a subpoena to obtain that report. Well, the other day, the FBI told Congress to go screw themselves. They're not handing over the document. Let me repeat that. The FBI is refusing to comply with a congressional subpoena to hand over evidence that could prove Biden has been compromised by foreign agents. Let's get to the first question here. Aaron, I'll start with you. What, if anything, will be the consequences for any of this if indeed it is proven true? (laughs) 
that's my answer. If you want to get into a, a window, a quick window into the soul of what Shannon calls the Uniparty, particularly in D.C., let's go back to the confirmation hearings of one Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford. And in the aftermath of what was a total, a total sham, a total bleep show, so obviously, so patently obvious, a scam. Do you guys remember Lindsey Graham addressing his fellow senators through tears? He said something to the effect of, these were my friends. That's, that's the DC unit party right there. These people are all friends with each other. And until, and again, I'm just drawing on our uh, other panelists here. Like Todd used to say, the status quo is the status quo until it isn't anymore. I really don't see any, any evidence that the Republicans in Washington just woke up one morning this week and said, hey, today's different. We're actually going to hold somebody accountable. Tell me, what is the next course of action? The, the FBI just said to these subpoenas, F you, Congress. We don't work for you. We work for the Bidens. F you. We're not going to comply with the, the law. So what's the next step then? What's the next step? What are they going to do? If only there was a... Let me make sure. I want to I make sure I'm laying this out properly. Because what I'm going to suggest here is nuts. Okay? But if only there was like some... Um, Procedure, like a governing governing document. Oh, oh. that like um, laid out specific. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, enumerated, laid out like a series of enumerated powers and authorities mm. that each branch of government had, so that these politicians would clearly know, and 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 their voters and constituents would clearly know what are remedies for situations like this. Like, does anybody know? Where no. does the FBI get its funding from, for example? Mm. Like, what if, what if there was an ability, for example, if, if you controlled the branch of Congress that the purse strings were connected to, that you could simply say to, um, you know, other branches that rely on you to keep the lights on, if, if you said, well, just shut them off then if you won't do your job. Or if they were able to, um, in a way, um, if there was a mechanism in place where you could like even have like hearings and perhaps even a trial mm. of, of, of a chief executive who had done these sorts of nefarious acts or been alleged to have committed acts of this kind of um, corruption, malfeasance and chicanery. Um, it's kind of fascinating, frankly, sitting here now in 2023, almost midway through this year. It's amazing that we have gotten this far as a country without such a document existing and laying out such, you know, um, uh, policies and procedures, you know, we just kind of winging it here, you know, for, you know, for the last going on 240 some odd years. But I don't know if, if, if we just had something like that, if I could guide us through a process like this, Todd, where everything was kind of clearly and stipulated and laid out. And so voters would know what to demand of their elected representatives. Elected representatives would know what they were and were not empowered to do. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of just fumbling in the dark here. That's called rule of law. We don't have that. 
we have the Orwellian opposite of that. The, the, the statue, justice is supposed to be blind, right? That, 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 that's rule of law. The Orwellian opposite of that, uh, all you see, all you see is the other. It's the opposite. No respecter of persons. You've said that before. Everything you say or do is all weighed or measured on that notion of the zero-sum game. If they win, I lose. So you always have to make sure they lose so you win. And there's never any overlap. So the principle is out the door. It doesn't matter. Whatever they say, it's immaterial whether it's right or wrong on any objective scale. It means I must do the opposite. You, it, it, there's no way out of that death grip uh, that we are uh, beholden to right now. At the Animal Farm was absolutely written about us. It dovetails with what you said. It, 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 how, how else does that uh, Harry Johnson or whatever his name is, uh, how Hank. does he think what he thinks? Hank Johnson. How does he think what he thinks? He's gone full animal You probably farm. had it right the first yeah, time. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> four, four legs good, two legs bad. Yeah. I, I, and Republicans right now. Again, Ron DeSantis may not be the best option ultimately end of the day. Trying to, the Republicans are the ones who are trying to turn him into Hitler right now. That's not Democrats doing that. That's Republicans. The, if, if you always, always, always must other the person that isn't you, we are exactly right now where we are supposed to be. This was our destiny. If you have no closed-hand principles that you believe in, because, not because you made them out to some weird alchemy, but because they came from God themselves, this right where we are was never an option. We were here sooner or later. Shannon, same question to you. What, if any, will be the consequences for any of this? I think it's becoming very clear to more and more Americans that there won't be any consequences because of an absolute truth. And the absolute truth is that there is a unibrow, there is a uniparty, and there has been for many decades. They work together like a symphony. It is not just that they align sometimes, they work together in back rooms to divide and gaslight the American people, and that's why we're all so confused. When I started my show about 10 years ago, I was a card-carrying Republican. I listened to Rush Limbaugh every day. I thought the Democrats were the bad guys and the Republicans were the good guys. And it took me about a year or two and a real deep dive into Benghazi and then the Benghazi hearings and then the nothing burger that happened after that for me to realize. Hold on. Something did happen. All right. Trey, what's his nuts uh, from South Carolina got a lifetime contract from Fox News. I, I, that's that's really and that and that's all that we are here to do is to try to get um, Fox News uh, uh, platformed by Fox. That's really all we're here to do. And it worked. Trey Gowdy. That's right. Uh, got, Trey note, Gowdy got a I, lifetime contract with Fox yeah. News out of that. So something happened. Oh, I have his name written on my notes here, Trey Gowdy, because that was, you know, he said everything you wanted him to hear right. and you're like, boom. And right. And, and it was right around that time where I, um, I had done enough research and I realized this is one party there. So truth number one is they are on the same team. That's very hard for people to grasp. It just is 
because we've been so indoctrinated and so gaslit and so made to fear the other side for so many decades. Um, the other truth is that you cannot solve the problem of Washington, D.C. from within Washington, D.C. Um, the only way to get to Washington, D.C. in the form of a presidency or a Senate or the House is by making so many bad deals and giving up so much of your soul and of absolute truth that once you get to Washington, D.C., there's really not much you can do. So we're in a very painful position, a painful moment in the U.S. right now where this is beginning to sink into more and more people. And I can tell you, I've been talking about the Uniparty, the Unibrow for almost 10 years. Never, ever have I had so many people get it immediately. Right mm -hmm. now, we are a different population of people after three years of COVID tyranny and the death and destruction that followed. We're still being gaslit by both parties, by the way, if you've all noticed. So right now, we're in that moment where we have the opportunity that the only way to fix Washington, D.C. is from the outside in. Okay. So it will take local organizations, statewide organization, pieces of legislation from the outside, essentially telling the federal government, screw you. Okay. Exit you question. You can pass Obamacare, you can pass Common Core, you can do all of that, but it's unconstitutional and we're not going to implement it at the state or local level. Okay. Exit question. Sorry, we're just up against a break. Wasn't trying to cut you off there. If the odds as of now, Joe Biden takes the oath of office as president in January of 2025, were an Eagle song, which Eagle song would it be? A, take it to the limit. B, I can't tell you why. Or C, already gone. Aaron. Uh, it's A, take it to the, I mean, it's going to happen. Todd. Same. Shannon. C, already gone. You think he's already toast is what you think? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So is Trump. All right. Yeah. All right, we'll come back. Are we witnessing the long, slow, and inevitable death of cable news? Or did Elon Musk just make his own Anthony Fauci mistake? We will discuss next. Back here on the Steve Day Show, one of the clients I have enjoyed the most since they came on board is our friends over at Tommy John, and they always give me fantastic scripts that I just never follow, because to me, the, the best pitch I can make is a direct appeal. I, I cannot give one of our partners a better endorsement than I spend my own money out of my pocket to utilize them as well. Right. So, I mean, they came on board here a few years ago, sent me a few pair of, uh, un of underwear to give it a shot, see what I thought. I was blown away by how good they were. And it's the only underwear I bought ever since. I can't give it a better endorsement than that. So get 20% off your first order if you want to try out Tommy John right now. Find out why they have sold 20 million pairs. They've got thousands of five star reviews. They've got fanatics, not fans. They've got a line for the ladies as well. Give it a shot. Try it for 20% off your first order when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Again, that is TommyJohn.com slash Steve. 20% off your first order when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Let's welcome back in New York talk show host Shannon Joy as we continue on with your weekly look at the week that was. Let us get to issue three, the long, slow, and inevitable death of cable news.
In the wake of Tucker Carlson's ouster from Fox News, we're still waiting to see how TV and cable news ratings will shake out, but early results showed MSNBC beating Fox News. In addition, Carlson announced he's taking his talents to Twitter. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Carlson is also accusing his former employer of being in breach of their contract. All right, so there's an addendum to this that just came in late last night after we already had this rundown and everything set up and planned. Uh, yesterday, Elon Musk announced that they were looking at hiring a CEO for Twitter, um, and it came out via the Wall Street Journal, whom that was likely to be. Some work was done on her. She has some very interesting Twitter follows, a lot of people on the right, including some no notorious people on the right. But people dug further into her, and she has direct ties to the World Economic Forum. Uh, there's a lot of videos out there of her pimping jabs and masks and uh, ESG and DEI and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And so her name is Linda Yaccarino. And just about 45 minutes ago, Elon formally announced her as the CEO, uh, saying, quote, Linda will focus primarily on business operations, while I focus on product design and new technology. Looking forward to working with Linda to transform this platform into X, the everything app. This is my read of that situation. I, I, my read is, and, and again, no one rises above their own worldview. No one does. My, my, my belief here is that Elon Musk is, is hoping she can bring back if they're going to be a real free live platform where people can get live content for free, watch shows like mine or Shannon's. Right now you can watch Matt Walsh's show here, Tucker likely moving his show here, all right? Uh, bring back skittish advertisers um, and that given her ties with NBC Universal and WEF, she can bring them back. And, and, and essentially he would remain ombudsman for lack of a better description of Twitter on the content side. I hope that works, but you have to remember here that sounds great, but you have to ask yourself, why did a lot of advertisers of magnitude, why did they abandon Twitter? Because they are either hate free speech or they're afraid of it. They're either WEF simps or they're afraid of alienating that crowd. I just don't foresee any way that there is not some tension. Start at the top with people like Tucker Carlson and Matt Walsh, two of the largest platforms on the right in America. There is no way the tension of what Walsh says about uh, tranny madness and racialist and racialism. I mean, those are kind of two of his big issues that he is most on the cutting edge and forefront and aggressively confronting. And then Tucker's pretty much on the forefront aggressively confronting virtually everything. There's just no way that, that, that there is not some, that doesn't, that doesn't spill over into skittish advertisers to some degree and it will be very interesting to see how Tucker I'm sorry how Elon Musk navigates this and that's a Freudian slip because it is it'll be very interesting to see how Tucker Carlson navigates this I I don't know I wonder if he knew about this woman and the possibility of her hiring when he put that video out the other night
because this goes when when you, when 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 they leaked that video of Tucker saying, "If you've got pronouns in your bio, you shouldn't work here." He is articulating the biblical principle of being unevenly yoked. Sooner or later, you can come up with you 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 can you can come up with a relationship where you guys meet each other's physical needs, you meet each other's material needs. That will last for a while. Sooner or later, though, if the values are misaligned, that relationship is doomed. Whether that's a marriage, whether that's a friendship, whether that's a business partnership, whether that's a political coalition. And I think it's, I think it is actually, it's absolutely possible that you just watched Elon Musk hire his Anthony Fauci. What do I mean by that analogy? Well, why did Trump hire Anthony Fauci? Because Art of the Deal is not a worldview either. I believe Trump sincerely likes making deals that everybody benefits from. And that's why he's made a lot of successful deals. But sometimes you can't, there's no deal to be made. There's only a battle to be fought. So this scandemic shows up in his lap. He knows half the country hates his guts. He doesn't want a bunch of people dying on his watch. So let me go give them essentially a codependent presidency and an Avignon papacy in their language, from their tribe, that, can, that will speak truth of this grave moment to blue state America who won't listen to me. I don't want them doing the opposite of what we're telling them because they're going to die on my watch. So here is your worthy substitute, Anthony Fauci. He never got his presidency back after that. That's essentially what I believe Elon Musk may be doing here. The in-crowd abandoned Twitter even as its traffic is hitting all-time highs. And he's like, fine. Here is the codependent. Linda Yaccarino, one of your own. Deal with her. Good luck with that. Transactionalism is not a worldview. It is not. It's superior to, would I take transactionalism and art of the dealism over um, the gates of Mordor are open and we're slitting throats? Uh, yeah. Would I take it over um, uh, to each according to his abilities for each according to his needs? Hells yeah. Just understand, those aren't long-term solutions. The, the, you're, that's triage at best. You're not healing the patient. And so this is going to be fascinating to see how Tucker navigates this and how Elon navigates this moving forward. What is everybody else's thoughts now that we have a clearer picture? Todd, I'll start with you. Well, since you covered that comprehensively, let, let's say that what happens going forward forward works perfectly and we do get the long slow end i i think the wrong way to look at it is what many conservatives do when it appears democrats or liberals or progressives are screwing up uh, laugh they're so stupid I used to talk with when i worked at the register i'd tell them you know your decisions are part of the problem of why you're not making as much money as you could here's the thing they don't care this is, and I don't think this is a long slow. I think this is a sign of their victory because they've used up this host. Do, do demons care if they use up their host? Did Nefarious care about no. the ultimate demise of Edward? No. 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 They, they won on this front. They, they, their worldview won. They used it up. I was in there. I saw it with my own eyes. No matter how much I tried to combat it, I lost. The same is happening. People are talking about I'm getting all kinds of retweets and likes about me going to that school board. I do it because I think it's necessary, but I'm in a position I lost. They're winning. 
because they consume their host. And we think publication is, yes, publication, public education is getting terrible. Yeah, pointing that out is increasingly obvious. It's not, we should be lamenting that, not laughing at it. They're just so stupid. They're destroying our culture. They're destroying our kids. This ultimately is the sign that they were victorious. They've used up the carcass and now they're throwing it aside. The only question now is what are they going to do next? And are we going to do anything different? Otherwise, we're going to lose again. Aaron, quick take from you and Shannon. Go ahead. What do you think? So I, I think ultimately, I saw this take this morning and I, I thought it was uh, genuine but naive that, well, the, tw the, the culture at Twitter has changed. They're putting in long hours and they're not just going to do this to throw it away on some CEO. It's naive because it always matters at the top. It doesn't, you know, they, they, we just got done talking about Tucker Carlson being fired. He made Fox millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. He was their number one show. Ultimately, the worldview at the top absolutely matters. And you can say, well, the CEO is not at the top. Ultimately, Elon is the owner. He doesn't have a worldview. He's genuinely inquisitive and curious. He doesn't have a worldview. So, this is, it, it's funny you bring up Trump kind of talking about, uh, Elon, uh, in talking about Elon sometimes, because it's very similar. There are going to be some really good things, and there's going to be some things that are not uh, not so good in in general it's just chaotic and can't say that's not a reflection of of this culture and society at large today shannon Elon Musk was connected to the World Economic Forum, to sustainability goals. He was the, one of the biggest corporate welfare queens in the country for many, many, many years. He's a transhumanist. I mean, all, we, we've known from the very beginning, and I cautioned my audience about six months, seven months ago, even after I got my account back after being permanently suspended when he bought Twitter, that uh, he's not necessarily one of us. So this is not surprising to me that this happened, but what has happened since he took over Twitter is that it has taken on a life of its own. And the American consumer, the American citizen right now is much angrier, much more nimble and much quicker to remove their support from businesses that don't deliver uh, what they want. And in this case, it's free speech. So if you take the uh, di disaster at Disney, the disaster at Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light, if you look at what happened to Fox News, not only are people not watching the eight o'clock hour, but they're boycotting the entire station because they're so angry about what they did to Tucker. I think that Elon is going to have have a very difficult time trying to install a WEF puppet. I also think that Tucker Carlson is going to put a check on that. And also all of the people that came back to Twitter at this point, it is the one space that is actually the wild, wild west of free speech. And if that changes because this new CEO is going to try to make Twitter palatable to dying woke corporations that are going to go down anyway as soon as we hit the recession in summer and fall, then they can go ahead and try that. I'll tell you, there is a parallel economy emerging with all of the team reality folks, medical freedom folks, the people who watch your show and my show, people who are activating on Rumble. This is only going to give more opportunity to new platforms platforms that are um, starting up. People want free speech. And if Elon gives it to them, they'll stay with them. If he doesn't, then they'll go the way of Fox News. That is fantastic analysis right there. Exit question. If the odds Fox News exists in its current form and approach to content at the end of this decade were an Eagle song, which Eagle song would it be? Same three options. A, take it to the limit. B, I can't tell you why. C, already gone. Aaron. Already gone. Todd. B, I can't tell you why. Shannon. Already gone. Speaking of Fox News, here's our kicker question for issue four this week. If you could give Fox News one piece of advice right now, 
What would it be and why? Shannon, go. Um, to quote Megyn Kelly, um, stop with the relationships and the pandering to politicians. They're not your effing friends, right? The relationship between media outlets and political parties, politicians, candidates is insane. You're there to scrutinize them. You're never there to be friends with them. And so that goes for Fox News and, and every media outlet, to be honest. Todd? Just run Greg Gutfeld on loop. <laughs> Shannon's advice is better, but yours is funnier. Uh, Aaron. there's I can't believe neither of you uh, thought of this. There's actually a free agent out there on the market right now who uh, has been talked about a lot. I, uh, his name is uh, Tucker Carlson. Hire Tucker Carlson. I bet he would get you great ratings. Hire someone your base loves who pushes conventional wisdoms, does it professionally, can still find ways to push at the Overton window while... Um, you know, absorbing and, and, and into your overall corporate environment and whose personality plays well on television. Such a person just so happens to exist, Aaron, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Checks all those boxes. Yeah, how about they, that? They had exclusive access yeah. to his content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. All right, let's get to predictions. Shannon, go. I'm getting the sense that the 224 <clears throat> electoral contest <clears throat> is going to be between. DeSantis and Kennedy. I think it's going to happen. I just had to pause because I just, I, I can't believe that that would be an act of providential grace because the country in its current state and voters, frankly, given their current state, don't deserve that level of a contest. Todd. Shannon and I were vibing at the outset. We are not anymore. Ron DeSantis <laughs> is not going to run. Ooh. You think he's not running? I think Ooh. I think he's um, reading tea leaves right now, and I think if uh, the polling out of Florida is in any way accurate, where the red wave actually happened, and they still preser- prefer Trump over DeSantis, I think he's just looking around it like, Why? okay, you get what you deserve, and I think he'll tell us that. I I, I seriously think the odds in the last. Uh, a week or so have gone up that he will not run. Aaron. Under no circumstances will Joe Biden be removed under dubious circumstances. The left always wins, but they are so uh, conceited and arrogant, they have to win the way they want to win. Mm. And I don't think uh, ditching him because his son is uh, uh, is, is uh, unsavory or him because he was and is a criminal necessarily, they don't want to do it for those reasons. My prediction is that Ron DeSantis will officially announce his presidential (laughs) campaign around Memorial Day, and he's going to actually skip the exploratory phase and go right to being full-fledged all in. And it's important. I I always make my prediction before I look at Steve's notes because I don't want to be influenced anyway, so I I did not know Mm -hmm. that that's what you were going to say before I made mine. It's very funny, though, the way that it turned out. I like it. That's very Mm -hmm. funny. Shannon, always good to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. You bet. Have a great weekend there in New York. Appreciate it. Her family was just, they could not have been sweeter to us, particularly her mama, you know, during what was a very difficult weekend there. So thank you to the entire Joy family. It was very cool. Yep. That's a good way of describing them on top of the fact it was, it's a very nice community up there. I think the only part... I'm trying to. I, I, I've been to West Point before. I covered a college football game there once and took the tour 
And that's up in the Catskills. I believe that's in upstate New York. Yeah. Or is that on the West outskirts? West Point of, is, yeah, in the uh, eastern upper state uh, New So York, it is upstate. Yes. Okay. And she's in western New York, right. the more conservative side. So I've not, I've not been up there. Well, yeah, because I used to live in Syracuse. So I guess I had been up there, but I was a little kid. So really nice area, too. So You didn't yell at them, though, to get out while there's still time? I, I still think... If you're looking at that subway news, I'd be getting out while there's still time. Yeah, I still think I'd be taking that advice. I'm not exactly sure where to send them at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll come back with hour two. Two live and on demand right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. Pardon me. Had to do a little burp there. I just took a drink of water. You are you, and you can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And for those of you that listen to the podcast, if you yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe, or if you're on iTunes, follow. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one of you. We also appreciate everything you've done to help us support our partners at Preborn. You guys know the right to life is paramount to me here on this show. We've got a goal this year of working with Preborn to save 70,000 babies here in 2023. And one of the reasons why Preborn has been so successful as a ministry, that's really what they are, they're a ministry, is they understand and they were ready. They were ready to do the hand-to-hand combat with mothers in a crisis pregnancy before Roe versus Wade uh, did make abortion as safe, legal, and rare as it used to be. So they're already positioned for the next phase of combat here in the, in the, in the war for the right to life. But they also understand that the mom needs love and support too. And so the first thing that happens here, the mom is convicted with truth. They confront her uh, with the ultrasound of her baby. And about 80% of the time over the years, what they have found is mom won't go through with killing her child when confronted with that. But then they now bring in the love. They understand that it is still not easy being a single mom. Everybody celebrates, and I love it, and my mom appreciates it too. Everybody celebrates that my 15-year-old mom chose to have life. But let's also not kid ourselves. It wasn't easy being a 15-year-old mom, a 16-year-old mom, a 17-year-old mom. Heck, it's not easy being a 38-year-old mom, all right? But especially a teen mom is not easy. A mom with a crisis pregnancy and, and and a child now not born in the best of situations, not easy. They need support, and they offer that at preborn with tons of postnatal care from car seats to counseling. All of this is free. With support from people like us. If you go to preborn.com slash Steve, that's preborn.com slash Steve. Again, preborn.com slash Steve to make a donation today or just dial pound 250 on your mobile phone. All right, let's get to Feedback Friday. Are you guys ready to go? Love Bet. it. Let's All do right. it. I really liked this note from Tom Inman in Hillsborough, Hillsborough let me try English, Hillsborough, Oregon. I talked yesterday that every caucus cycle I have tended to go in with a priority. 
And really only one time did I have a priority of directly impacting the eventual outcome. And that was 2016. Um, <clears throat> meaning I wanted to see if we could find someone early on that I thought could win, go all the way to the nomination, support them early, early on, put every network, every contact I have behind them as best I can. There's only one time I, I tried to do that from the outset. I ended up doing it for Huckabee in 08, but that was organic. It wasn't my intent going into the process. It was my intent going into 2016, and that's how I ended up supporting Ted Cruz. This go around, my number one priority is using this process as a platform to provide some kind of reckoning over what happened the last few years with COVID, which put us right on the brink of losing our way of life, maybe permanently. Um, but I like the way that Tom articulates why he has a different view. Remember on our show, we don't say it quite as much as we used to, but we're, we're much more interested really in why you think the way you do than what you think. I don't really care if you agree with me or not. I mean, obviously I want people to agree with me. I don't go out of my way to say things I don't think are true. I don't go out of my way to not be persuadable, although sometimes you may think that that is true. <laughs> uh, but uh, my, my intention is not to communicate things. I don't want people to join me in believing, but it's just not a requirement for me. I, I you know... Uh, there are things I think now that I look back and wonder, why did I think them at the time? And then there are things that I think now and I look back and wonder, I wish I would have thought them at the time. I mean, we're human. No one has the market cornered on truth or um, uh, perfection. So I like the way that Tom, art Tom articulated this. He writes, DeSantis has indeed made some great progress in Florida on policy changes and the list is long. I like that about him and believe he would make maybe a great vice president for somebody like Trump. But he needs training wheels inside the White House before he can become president. World leaders need to meet DeSantis and forge relationships with him so he can learn what it takes. Trump has already proven to be successful at that because he came to the White House with an existing international business experience dating back decades. His foreign policy results speak for themselves. Now, a DeSantis Trump or Trump DeSantis ticket would be my choice. But in my view, DeSantis lacks the foreign policy experience and negotiating power with world leaders that Trump has proven he has and is highly effective. I actually don't disagree with much of this. Now, I think DeSantis has a little more than you're giving him credit for. You have to remember he was in Congress for several years. All right. So, I mean, he had national security clearances and everything else. OK, but you're that's a. We're, we're arguing the degree of your point. We are not arguing the premise of your point. That's actually a very good point. And remember how much I loathed during the Trump years, the, uh, the slurping of the North Korean uh, bull haircutted uh, tyrant from Trump. So no, remember how much that annoyed me and offended me. So keep that in mind when I say this. Donald Trump is the best foreign policy president this country has had since the end of the Soviet Union. Now... Similar to saying DeSantis is the best Republican governor we've ever had, let's face it, in neither one of these cases, the list is, 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 is the list either long or distinguished. Fair? Correct. Okay. Correct. I mean, DeSantis could have accomplished about half of what he did in Florida and still be considered one of the best Republican governors we've ever had because of how low the bar is. Similarly, Trump could have could have done far less on foreign policy than getting Saudi Arabia and Israel to be friends, okay, than he did. And the bar would still be, he probably still would have exceeded it. So in both cases, it should be mentioned that we are comparing both men against a rather and largely uninspired 
an inspiring field of predecessors. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, though, just like I said with your previous point, Tom, we're arguing degrees of your of a point, not the point itself. And the point is, even with how much I was annoyed and offended by the slurping of the bull haircutted tyrant in Pyongyang, I I would still tell you, from a foreign policy perspective, this was the best presidency since the collapse of the Soviet Union. I said at the time, we did shows about it. I wrote pieces about it. I thought the speech that he gave in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, I think it was in May of 2017, so early in his administration, I thought it was the best foreign policy speech and vision laid out by a president since 9-11. And you cannot argue with the success of what was accomplished from a foreign policy standpoint. And so therefore, if that is your priority... And I don't fault you if it is. I mean, it is very clear that we are being egged into some kind of escalating conflict via Ukraine. That's been pretty obvious. That's why people like me have been opposed to this whole thing from day one. My son Noah ain't dying for your Habsburg dynasty proxy war over the Crimea. Not happening. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure none of your sons do, let alone your daughters, who they don't mind killing either. So if that is your priority, then by all means, you should do everything you possibly can without violating your conscience or the laws of nature and nature's God to make Donald Trump the GOP nominee and president of the United States because he does have the most proven and successful track record on foreign policy of really anybody running in either party in this race. I don't, I, I'm not even sure that's debatable. I'm not sure. Um, If you're asking me, well, let me go back for a second. I, there there was the most adult part and there wasn't much, but the most adult part of his CNN town hall was really where he needed to be an adult most of all. And that was on the question of Ukraine. I mean, his answer on that, uh, what's her name? Caitlin Collins, right? Okay. When she asked him point blank, uh, do you want Ukraine to win? He's like, "I, I want this to end. I'm not accepting your premise. I, I, I want this to end. I want to end this as soon as possible and stop killing people as soon as possible. That's a perfect answer. Absolutely perfect answer. So you'll get no argument out of me. If you're wondering why I don't share your priority, well, you, you wouldn't be far down my priority list. You might be number two, frankly. But if you want to know why, it's because of what I just said a minute ago. From my view, and my view may be wrong, did I say it was the view? No. What did I say it was? My a, view. A view, yours. My view. And and since the sign over my shoulder says what? My name. So it's going to be largely guided as best as I try to be transparent and as fair as I try to be. I can't fully be because it's going to be subjective based on my views and my perspectives. From my view, I, I have in my 50 years on this earth, it'll be 50 years in, in, in July, I have never, ever felt like it, like I might permanently lose our way of life and not truly be able to pass it on to my children like I did during the, the, the couple of years of COVID, particularly the first year when he was president still. That's why. You may disagree with that. You know what? It's one man, one vote. Well, let me rephrase that. 
It used to be one man, one vote. <laughs> I don't know what it is now. <laughs> okay. But, you know, those of us who love the country and the values it was founded on still believe in that principle, right? So when, when Tom in Hillsborough, Oregon goes to vote, by all means, you are empowered to vote on what your priorities and perspectives are. And I respect and love you for it. When I go to vote and do the show that I do, it's going to be powered by the perspectives and opinions that I have. And my perspective was we were this close to losing this all. And we still don't even have it fully back, by the way. We've just gotten them to stand down on aggressively prosecuting it, but not to admit they did anything wrong. No one's been held accountable. But again, that's my view. My view could be wrong. But since it's my view, I'm going to push my view. You should push yours. I respect the hell out of your view and don't necessarily disagree with anything that you just said. You guys want to add anything to that? Yeah, I have a different take. I, I think COVID isn't just a domestic issue. I think it is and was foreign policy. That's a good point. And I think he failed at it. There was a honeymoon period where Donald Trump... Uh, was the one that held all the leverage. He confused the hell out of Democrats. He confused the hell out of Republicans. He confused the hell out of the Chinese. He confused the hell out of most of the world. But ultimately, all of them, in various ways, and as it applies to COVID, do we know for sure if it was if COVID was uh, intentional or if COVID was an accident that then was intentionally used? Uh, don't let a crisis, good crisis go to waste to hamstring uh, Trump and Western civilization as we've known it. Either way, Trump lost on foreign policy and he had many, many opportunities to go a different path. He was not a mere victim of this. And I hope hidden in all of this is that if, it, you know, somehow you're setting that aside and this was done to him. No. He had opportunities. We've laid them out from the beginning. We're not doing this in hindsight. We were at the vanguard of, no, do it this way. No, do it this way. And now all of the data lines up that we were right and Trump was wrong. COVID and his handling of it was not just a domestic mistake. It was a grotesque foreign policy mistake. And the biggest mistake that people make in trying to weigh Donald Trump is saying that this was just a small portion. This was just yeah. maybe 25% of his... No, guys, it's a lot. I don't know exactly what the percentage is. My opinion, and that's that's very subjective. My opinion, because of the cataclysm that COVID was and his handling was, this is close to 75 to 85, if not 90% of his presidency, of his legacy. And that's a big deal. And it will remain that as long as there's not a reckoning. Now, however, on the part about foreign policy, why isn't this his entire campaign right now? I saw I saw a line of attack from, I believe it was somebody who worked for Tim Pool. I thought it was, yeah, I have a bias. I, I, I've been on the record. I, I think that Donald Trump is going to win the nomination. I love Ron DeSantis and I'll do everything in my power to whatever that is to, to help him win. So I have a bias. I thought it was a little unfair, but I thought it was still a pretty good attack. You know, DeSantis signed some uh, some bill while he was over in Israel a couple of weeks ago. And this line of attack was, you know what, I like um, I like leaders who uh, actually tell 
tell foreign leaders what's up instead of signing bills on foreign soil. It was something along those lines. The foreign policy angle is the one that Trump has the decided advantage, at least in my opinion. He should be playing that up for all it's worth. Again, it's Groundhog Day. We're telling Donald Trump what he should be doing, what would be the prudent thing to do. Instead, we're going to get Ron DeSanctimonious and all forms of stupid. So, happy Friday. Um, next. Um, where did that one go? Where is it? Oh, okay. Michael Taylor writes, Please tell Ted Cruz to run for Texas governor. Texas is a critical line of defense to prevent the entire country from turning blue. Cruz is being underutilized in the Senate and only makes a 1% difference with his vote. Think that's fair or foul? What do you think? It's definitely fair. Uh, I, I have no idea about his you know level of interest you i mean you're not regularly briefing us on what ted cruz is doing because you're not regularly uh talking with ted cruz would he i he'd have to be an improvement uh i there's obviously real substance uh to ted cruz i believe there's hardly any to what's going there in the governor's office right now so yeah Aaron? I mean, if Ted Cruz is not an update, an upgrade, I should say, over Greg Abbott, then Todd, or, Todd is, is right. Ron DeSantis shouldn't run for president. We're just done here. If he's not an upgrade over Greg Abbott, there's politically, there is no, there's no room for us anymore. Right. There's, there's just none. So I have to think he would be an upgrade, but I don't know if he has the desire. Of course, that's... He just got reelected. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's a ways away, guys. It is a ways away. I will say this. I, the best I can tell you, well, first of all, I, you know, this is the best answer I can give you as a general rule. The only office I am tempted to run for is governor. Not tempted to run for senator, not tempted to run for Congress, not tempted to run for the legislature. The only office I would ever truly be tempted to run for is governor. And... It's because of the amount of affirmative power that can be wielded there against the spirit of the age. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't say I agree with you, knowing him well, his talents are greatly underutilized in that body. Um, whether I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say they are wasted, however, I think that's going too far. It's still one of the largest platforms someone could have in America. Right. And he's using it right now. He's down at the border right now using that platform. OK, so I don't know if Greg Abbott plans to run again or not, but if he does not, I I'm I'd be 100 percent in favor of a draft Ted Cruz for Texas governor. You bet I would. I'd love to see what he would do with that kind of authority and power. Jordan writes, do you think the Lord placed the novel of nefarious plot on your heart? What inspired you? Well, I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, but the first time I was ever in Washington, D.C., I was there to do some publicity for my first wide-release book, Rules for Patriots. I jump in the shower to get ready, and I'm, I'm sitting in the shower of this hotel that's right off the Capitol Square, and um, this voice in the back of my head just out of nowhere says, as I'm in the shower, this book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those of you who had no idea you were being used all this time, for you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all. Nefarious. And I thought that was literally the, the weirdest, most peculiar thing that's ever popped into my head before. And I've been a teenage boy before. 
And that's when some really weird and peculiar things can pop into your head. <laughs> All right. Let me give the ladies a tip here. When your husband is a grown man, chances are if, he's, if, if he asks you, if you ask him, what are you thinking? He's probably not thinking much. Or it's like, I can't believe we punted on fourth and one and didn't go for it and lost that bleeping game again. It's probably something like that most of the time, right? Okay. If you're dating, if you're a teenage girl and you're dating a teenage boy, do not ask, what are you thinking? In that case, you probably don't want to know. (laughs) Best to let that one just hopefully outgrow that phase. Um, But that was one of the most peculiar things that's just ever popped into my head. I went and did my PR, came back to the room that night and uh, just started messing around with it and um, came up with the idea, which I hope was inspired. I mean, I hope, I hope my imagination is not dark enough that I conjured this up completely on my own, okay? But um, came up with the idea of, hey, I've written one book that actually has sold some copies. I'm, com- I'm completely qualified to write a sequel to something, to one of C.S. Lewis's seminal works. Forgive me, it was the Obama era, and he had already written his second autobiography and memoir by the time he was 40. So we were all having delusions of adequacy during that simpler time. And um, I just started, you know, piddling around at my keyboard with the idea of writing a sequel to the Screwtape Letters. And of course, anytime you write, you do a sequel, the threat's got to be bigger. That's the rule of the sequel. The threat must be bigger, right? And so what would be bigger than what Lewis articulated about the individual demonic takedown of us as people? What about the demonic takedown of an entire people? And I just wrote wrote out what to this day is still about 90 plus percent of the introduction that's in the book today. So if you don't have a copy yet, you want to get an autographed one, you can go to nefariousbook.com. That's nefariousbook, singular, nefariousbook.com. About 90% of what's in that introduction to this very day is what I wrote that that night, uh, that spring night in that hotel room in Washington, D.C. I called a few friends of mine, um, one of them a pastor that I know really well, and just read out loud what I had. I wanted to get their instant reaction, and they were all blown away by it. And so I just kind of kept tinkering with it and playing with it. It took me a long time to write this book, longer than anything else I've written by far, because weeks and months would go by that I just, I was not comfortable being wearing those shoes for long periods of time, particularly as the book went on. You know, I... I I patterned the book after a demonic deception. So at first, at first, Nefarious is inviting. He is kind of an antihero. He's funny. You might even agree with his overall societal laments to draw you in. And then the more that you are drawn in, as the book goes on, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker until it's pitch black at the very end. And once we got into the meat of that, I just was really uncomfortable just inhabiting those shoes for long periods of time. And so weeks, if not months would go by in between me writing any more of that book. Well, if it's not divine inspiration, what is it? Because everybody knows the system won't uh, uh, let you uh, make a lot of money for doing it. So that getting rich wasn't your motivation. No, no, it, it is possible. By the way, we may we may end up selling as many copies of nefarious since of a nefarious plot since the release of the movie than we did before it i mean the thing is selling like crazy right now so but that's that's making my point and the system it's it's not again not just not just libs holding me down no i mean our side our side yeah 
There's, uh, Honestly, it, of it, all the think of all the major name talkers yes. that existed in 2016, the only one that would even you'd even contemplate would entertain this book is Glenn Beck, yeah. who was the one that did entertain it and called me and is the reason we ended up making a movie deal because of the exposure that that interview gave our book. Yes. Yeah. So I think we sold about 5,000 copies the first year it was out. I promise you, at least 3,500 of those copies came from just one day on the Glenn Beck show. <laughs> right. But I'm sure Trey Gowdy's Art of War somehow, you know, yes. sold you by ten, outsold you by 10 times. Yeah. Because they was on Fox. Because he yeah, was on Fox. I'm making that up. But yeah. the equivalent of it in reality. You're not lying. On Fox News every other day. You, you, are, you are absolutely not lying. This is why? You're not. I mean, that's, you know, and um, well, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. But if you just look at the fruit of the last generation, it's pretty obvious. I mean, look at, and, and, and I agree it's our most important issue. I told you when I came back from the week that I took off for a sabbatical. That of all the things, I, and I took that whole week away from the culture war, that the only issue I, had, I was chomping at the bit to, to comment on was what happened with Tucker and Fox. I agree it is the most important thing happening on the right right now. I agree. What, what I don't like is that it's the most important thing happening on the right right now. I agree that it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly despondent that it is the most important thing that is happening right now. Contemplate this. The other side is is literally doing a victory lap. They've already completed the long march through the institutions. They're now doing a victory lap through them. And we are left fighting for a singular time slot on a linear cable network that is part of a dying platform of dying technology with a dying audience that averages 68 and a half years old. I agree. The Tucker Fox story is the most important thing happening on the right right now. And that is exactly why we're losing that is why you fail that is why because it is yep the idea of let me just go to work not participate never go to my kid's school board come home watch fox news at night how does lindsey graham uh, get elected in south carolina for 30 years they got their marching orders roger ailes first rupert murdoch next this was the electable republican so do your duty Mitch McConnell, the elected, uh, the electable Republican, do your duty. And, uh, and the generation, the last generation did. They voted for all the corporatist hacks. Fox News told them to. Every now and then a Rick Santorum would sneak in there in Pennsylvania or a Ted Cruz would sneak in there in Texas, but uh, Rand Paul in Kentucky, but they were, you know, one of these things are not like the other types. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, you just voted for whoever. Murdoch Ailes told you to vote for nominated for president, whomever Murdoch Ailes told you to nominate and, you know, went out and voted straight ticket Republican to save America. And the devil just laughed at you for a generation. I don't know. I'm sorry. I know it's cold. I w at the end of my generation, I also wouldn't want to contemplate. I lost the greatest culture God's ever allowed on the face of the earth. I wouldn't want to contemplate that either. I get that it sucks, but it's simply the truth of why we are where we are. It's just the last generation was not an active participant. They, they, were, uh, they were an active consumer, bought a lot of books, watched a lot of cable TV on Fox, but they weren't active participants. They weren't active citizens. Exactly they right. were active consumers. And what you are saying, and I said we talk about it all the time and we can do it again, but we're doing it right now. What you're talking about is the flip side of what I said about women earlier in the show. 
they're doing way too much and it's messing them up men are doing way too little yeah they just are it we are becoming weak and soft because we are not participating being a male being a man is never not just in this culture is ever is not a spectator sport it never has been never should be never will be we are not wired that i just way. did an interview I, I just did an interview with a podcast called legacy dads and i told them flat out i love moms for liberty and what they're doing they should be completely unnecessary yeah it's an indictment of the men yes. that this organization yes. must exist. Yeah, I agree. Um, our friends at Patriot Mobile agree that it is time for the alternative parallel economy. Unfortunately, a lot of you do too, but we just aren't quite ready yet to do this on a mass scale. But little by little, it's emerging. And thankfully, one of the places that it is is with a device we all need to utilize here in modern times. That's our mobile phone. Make the switch now to Patriot Mobile, America's only American mobile phone company left. They not only don't hate you which at this point, that's all we're asking for. They actually support the same values you do. They're involved in the marketplace of ideas along with you. I met one of their mucky mucks at the uh, uh, at the Turning Point USA's big summit they have out there in Phoenix every December. Had a chance to talk with one of them. These guys are in the fight and they offer a spectacular product and service. Right now, if you make the switch to them, you can switch to any of the three major carriers in the country for free anytime you want. If you're if you're moving somewhere, uh, you're going to be temporarily relocated somewhere and one network is better than the other. They'll help you make the switch free of charge just for making the switch and becoming a member to Patriot Mobile. Use uh, the promo code Steve to get a free activation as well. If you make the switch today, remember veterans and first responders, they've got extra goodies for you as a way of saying thank you uh, for your service to the country. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Once again, PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call. Call 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. What I just said, doesn't. it's not good for business. Remember, I still own this show. I'm not anybody's employee. I, I, I work for myself. It doesn't add clicks. It doesn't get me booked in the major speaker circuit and certainly doesn't get me on Fox News where everybody longs to be. Uh, hopefully not as much as they used to after the events of the last 30 days, but... The reality is, though, it's true. And you know a tree by its fruit. I, I don't know that our generation will do any better. I suspect it probably won't because it hasn't really been trained at all uh, to take over. It hasn't been groomed in mass at all to take over. I, I, I just know, though, it couldn't possibly do any worse. Hmm. We'll come back with more in a moment. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, a quick word about our friends over at Books. So I'm done doing you favors. I mean, all this week I kind of gave you the red siren alert early in the show that Mother's Day is coming. This is my last chance. Therefore, it's yours. All right? Don't blow it. With the mom or husbands, with your wives who are the moms to your kids, this is it. On the way out the door here, books.com, promo code Steve, B-O-U-Q-S, B-O-U-Q-S, promo code Steve, get 20% off right now. Still time to make it in time for Mother's Day, but you are running out of time. All right, this is my last chance to warn you. Huge selection of unique designs uh, that come from, uh, these are flowers that come fresh from the farm, so they are they last way longer than other places you'll go to. Books.com, don't blow it. If you waited this late, you're about to. 
B-O-U-Q-S, B-O-U-Q-S, books.com. Promo code Steve to get 20% off. Do it now. If you're listening and you haven't done it yet, pause the show. Do it now. Come back later. Books.com. Promo code Steve for 20% off. All right, let's get back into it here. Ryan Adair in Fort Collins, Colorado writes, I know you have a ton of experience in Iowa and it being the first in the nation caucus state. I can see where the candidate who wins the state can gain a ton of momentum, but I'm just trying to better understand how that how that makes it a full gone conclusion. Could you please explain that possibly on the show? So you really have to look at Iowa and New Hampshire as a package deal, right? I gave you guys some numbers what was it? Uh, maybe even Monday on the show. I gave you guys some numbers. Five times. The modern primary system, as you know it today, began in 1976. 1972 was the last year, or was the first year that we had uh, an open primary s- system to some degree. You still had convention shenanigans on the Democratic side, which led to the riots and everything else that you had that year. Oh, no, that was 68 where that happened. My bad. But 76 was the year, the first time that we had full-fledged post-Watergate. Some of these were... Uh, were um, uh, they were reforms that were done in the political system after Watergate, get as much power out of the smoke-filled room as possible. So the fully open primary system, open primary system that, that you know it as now, began in 1976, all right? And, and so ever since then, any other trend that you see, any trend line prior to 1976 is irrelevant because it would have been part of a, a nominating system different than anything we have, uh, that, resembling anything we have today. So this, so all your data trends in this point, the seminal moment goes back to, or the origin point goes back to 1976. Since then, five people have won both Iowa and New Hampshire. And, and all five of them went on to become the nominee for their party. There has never been a Republican who did not finish in the top three in Iowa that became president of the United States. And in fact, only one Republican who didn't finish in the top three in Iowa went on to become the nominee. And that was John McCain in 2008, but he missed third place behind his friend, Fred Thompson, by 0.039%. So, I mean, they were almost statistically tied for third. Uh, the winner of the New Hampshire primary on the Republican side has gone on to be the Republican nominee 10 out of 12 times since 1976. So why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, not to underestimate this, but party bosses don't like long, drawn-out primaries. They view them as divisive, particularly when they're usually backing the hackneyed candidate that they're trying to hide from the people. So they tend to, when someone gets early momentum, to use their various platforms as leverage to say, this, shut it down, it's divisive, it's over, move on. A little bit like, frankly, what Trump is trying to do to Ron DeSantis right now. Okay. Um, you didn't see that in 2016 because um, the party bosses hated both of the candidates who came out of the early states with the momentum. Trump won Iowa. I'm sorry. Uh, Cruz won Iowa. Trump won New Hampshire. So the two candidates they hated the most in that race came out of the two early states with all the momentum. So there were no calls. Shut it down. No, they were. 
they were hoping that Mar- that's why Roger Ailes gave Marco Rubio uh, they tried to give him the big Fox News bump after Iowa with the greatest third place finish of all time. Okay, they they were desperately hoping that one of these two guys weren't the nominee. And then at the very end of the process, Fox came to the conclusion that it was better to do business with Trump than Cruz, and they went all in as a Trump super PAC in the last month and a half. Helped put out the lie, frankly, that Cruz was stealing elections. We were just actually using the nominating process. We were in states that didn't have primaries or caucuses, but conventions like Colorado, for example. All right. So they put out that lie and buried us. And that was the end of the campaign. But but the only way that that the party bosses were going to get behind Trump was that it literally had to be Trump or the guy that was literally born and raised in a in a Reagan era Petri dish. Okay, so if it was Trump versus Kasich, they all would have aligned with Kasich. You see what I'm trying to say? They just they just made a calculation that maybe on some level we can do business with Trump. We don't think we can do business at all with a Ted Cruz. But that's why that was one of the longer primaries in modern times you have seen is because there was not an eagerness to uh, for a long time to align behind other either of the guys that had any momentum in the early states. Most of the time, the candidate that the party bosses wants wins at least one of those states. And so there will be immediate pressure to coalesce and move on. So that's, that, that's the main reason to, to understand. That's the main one to understand. There are other factors, though, that are important. And one of the other factors is the way Iowa and New Hampshire are won are actually, despite their smallness in size, relatively speaking to the rest of the country, the way those states are won is actually a pretty good archetype for how you would win on a national level. For example, Iowa is an 80% retail politics state, 20% media. We only have one top 100 television market in the state, Des Moines. And since it's a caucus... Not a primary. What do I mean by a caucus? Caucus is how your founding fathers voted. Those eligible to vote, usually landowners, showed up at church, city hall, um, whatever the, you know, whatever uh, someone's home of a respected individual. And they would literally stand up. That's how you used to vote in this country. Is you, they would literally stand up, declare who they're voting for and why, and could literally try to, you know, persuade people right there on the site to vote their way. Well, if you're one of these hackneyed kind of, I'm just going to vote for whoever Fox News tells me to voters, you, that's too much effort for you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, you're, you're not going to do that, you know? I mean, and there, w- there's not a lot of people that are eager to stand up and give speeches for John McCain and Mitt Romney, you know? Um, and so that process has a way of widowing it down to the most convicted people who are, or committed, I should say, uh, the people that are most interested in truly using the process um, for means of making an ideological point. Um, And so that requires a lot of organization. Uh, That requires a lot of networking. That requires a lot of personal connecting with voters. And that's a key aspect of campaigning for the presidency, right? Another key aspect of, of campaigning for the presidency is the media battle. If you look at the way New Hampshire is structured, there's there is usually a Saturday night debate right before the New Hampshire primary that gets huge ratings uh, New Hampshire is—I would say New Hampshire is 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 seventy percent media, thirty percent retail, retail politics. There is a retail politic aspect to it, but a lot of it also is you're in the Boston television market. Also, the demographics are different. So Iowa is because of the caucuses. A lot of the traditional conservative base see that as religious believers, particularly evangelicals, dominate. 
In a, in a state like New Hampshire, you'll get a broader electorate. You'll, you, the broader, wider range of, you know, less religious, more secular-minded Republican will vote there. And so these two states, by the way you win them, by the demographics within them, are actually really good archetypes for the entire country. So if you go over two, or or at the very least you're not competitive in the first two, then you've demonstrated, knowing knowing in advance that these are the first two states, so you've had a, a full year basically to build up your capacity in each of these states, right? It's it's not like, you know, it's not like the NBA draft lottery, although that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I'd have a lottery. Each party has a lottery in May, and we just draw out who are the first two states. That'd be kind of cool now that I think about it. And nobody knows. And you've got to mobilize in an instant. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That I'm kind of talking myself into this, actually. You know? Oh, crap, man. It's, uh, it's Oregon and Wyoming. Get ready. <laughs> you know? I'm open. All right. But um, we're having tryouts. Yes. But in this case, everyone has known for decades what the first two states are. And I know right now Democrats are trying to make South Carolina first. New Hampshire is going to go first. That's a law. It's just a matter of what the Democrats decide to do with New Hampshire's delegates for bypassing the party bylaws and going with state law instead. But New Hampshire will go first. Um, You know, going in what those are, you know, going in what you have to do. And so you have an entire almost an entire year of buildup to those moments, similar to the presidential campaign itself. Right. I mean, most of the time we know who the nominees are by March, May at the latest, the, not, the, the elections in November, that's six, seven, eight months in some cases you have of campaigning, of buildup. So it's, these are actual really good microcosms of what the, a, a national campaign is like. And so if you can't be competitive in either a state that requires organization and retail politics or a state that requires more of a media presence, then guess what? Those are the only two kinds of two states we have. All right. States that you win via media domination or states that you win via organizational domination. If you can't compete in either one of those two going in and, and New Hampshire and, and Iowa, given their size, would be relatively inexpensive compared to the larger swing states in the country. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So on a smaller level, in a smaller economy of scale, if you can't be competitive in either one of those environments, then you can't be competitive in a national environment. And so people have a tendency at that point to say, hey, you had a chance to prove yourself down here basically in the NFL preseason, and it's pretty clear you're not the starting, you didn't win the starting quarterback battle. So when we get to the actual season, you ain't QB1. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Anybody want to add any? I hope that answers your question, Ryan. Anybody want to add anything to that or clarify anything? Really good question. I'm kind of surprised I've never gotten asked it before, actually. So great question. There's enough moving parts in there already, I think. I don't want to add or subtract anything. Aaron, you good? Yeah. Okay. Um, I do like the lottery idea, though. Oh, just we sit here and just every, mm-hmm. every cycle we don't know what the, what the two first states are going to be. I kind of like it. Yeah. How do, how do you get more? How do you get the bigger percentage of a chance? If you didn't pick the correct... Uh, outcome last time if you didn't predict who would actually become the nominee you have a bigger chance i like that yeah of going first yeah or going at the head of uh, the pack yep yeah. or you just randomly put them in there every year somehow the democrats managed california as able to be one of their first states every single cycle <laughs> all right they just they lie about their own vote they steal their own vote so california can go first every time we're like the founding fathers right now we came here just to tweak the articles of confederation and now we're like let's lottery. start a whole new thing <laughs> yeah let's just have a blind lottery let's just totally wing it while we're at it uh weston says i'd like to know a biblical argument in order to 
help demonstrate that it's okay for my pastor to get political with his sermons. He does a good job of touching on subjects, but then will quickly say, I don't want to get political and beats around the bush. And it's quite frustrating. I gave him Eric Metaxas's book, Letter to the American Church, hoping it would help. But I'd like to sit down with him. And if I could come to the table with more theology, I think it would help. Appreciate any assistance. You want this one first? You say, Jesus said, I am here to testify to the truth. Yes. And then you, you're done. Yes. I, I, I would urge you first and foremost, do not, and, and this is for anybody in the audience, do not encourage your pastors to get more political. No. Encourage them to get more biblical. Encourage them to be more prophetic. And, and that is a natural organic process of addressing the things in which are in conflict with the word of God. And, and tempt God's people to go astray. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd protects the flock from those that would, that would threaten it and then also tends the flock so they won't wander off, the sheep won't wander off on their own. Encourage them to do that. I like what you just said. Jesus looks at Pontius Pilate. That comes from the Gospel of John. Jesus looks at Pontius Pilate and says, for this reason, I came into the world. So who does Pilate represent at this moment? Pilate is a proxy for Rome, which Rome at this point is a proxy for the world system. They are the most powerful empire that has ever existed in, in, in humanity up until this point. All right? They are the culmination of the, of the lineage of Nimrod. That's what Rome is. They are, they are the, they're at the, if, if Nimrod and what he inspired early in, early in biblical history was the hierarchy of needs, Rome would be at the top of the pyramid. Fair? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he is looking at Christ, who now, of course, is the proxy for the kingdom of God. He is it. He looks at the proxy for the kingdom of man for the kingdoms of this world, and he says right to his face, for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. That's the job. Yeah. Do that. And, and then you don't have to worry about, I'm not trying to get political here, don't add caveats, don't undermine your own argument. This is the word of God. Let the lion out of its cage. Don't encourage any of your pastors to be more political. Man, if there's one thing I, I, I don't want to see is any more mascots for a party that hates us. Instead, encourage them to be more biblical and prophetic. And by doing that, they will confront the spirit of the age organically. It's unavoidable. It's absolutely unavoidable. I would urge that. Hope that helps. All right, we're about out of time. Probably not enough time to be fair to another one. I think I got through all of our live reads today, Aaron, correct? Let me double check on that real quick. I, I believe I did. Uh, My Patriot Supply. Yep, we did that. Oh, no, we didn't. So let's do it right now. Thank you. Um, because, frankly, we don't have enough pastors doing what we just said. <laughs> there is a possibility you might be living in the Let's Go Brandon terminal era of America. Make sure you're ready. With our friends at My Patriot Supply, get their three-month emergency food kit. That's 2,000-plus calories each day. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. Stays good for up to 25 years with proper storage. And then you'll have peace of mind of knowing that you're prepared should it really go down here in the artist formerly known as the United States of America. You can save $200 on each kit your family needs. Not the whole bill. 
each kit your family needs. You can save $200 and get free shipping right now at MyPatriotSupply.com. Again, that's MyPatriotSupply.com. All right, any final thoughts? You know, I would say if, you're, if your pastor um, thinks something, if, if, if testifying to the truth seems political, I would tell your pastor that's an indictment on maybe church culture and the society at large, not himself. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's, you know, pontificating on the finer points of Mike Pence's uh, tax plan or, uh, you know, what personalities, if he's talking, starts talking about the show aspect of politics, that's when it's really actually getting political and he should probably cut, cut it out. But testifying to the truth, by definition, is not political. And you've got an idol worship problem, too, if you're saying I won't get political. You, you can't. Yeah. You, you have some kind of excuse in your life mm-hmm. that has you, that you're hooked on, that you need to get rid of. Yeah, you've uh, you've succumbed to a false choice. And as a pastor, yes. you're here to crush and confront false choices, yes. actually. Yeah. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.